0: Last week I spoke about the first commandment. So we're going to cover the second commandment today. The second commandment is one of the commandments that we look to in answer to I think a very important question, how does one love God with all your heart and with all your mind? And I went through briefly as an introduction on the first commandment how the law can be perceived as being on two tablets, you know, and and the first four are directed towards how we love God. And that's what we're following through with. I'm going to cover all four of the, those commandments. and So we're going to cover the second commandment today. So if you are uh, ready, take your Bible, turn to Exodus 20, verse 4. And we're going to start off reading the second commandment. And the second commandment touches on how do we perceive God? How do we experience God, if you will? Exodus 20, and we'll read verses 4 through 6 together here, which say, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." So images, images of God, images of God. How do we perceive God? How do we visualize, if you will, or is it through our senses? I mean, do we have a picture of God? Do we uh, perceive him through our other senses, our eyes, ears, fingertips, and so forth? Um, Then I think that also touches on how do we explain him to ourselves and to others. Now when we think of idolatry, when you think of idolatry, I think the most common uh, reaction is to think of idolatry as referring to strange carvings of, say, Dagon, the fish god, or something like that, or Molech, or you know, some human figure with an animal head, you know, a wolf or an eagle or whatever. But if you think about the commandments, and the first commandment in particular, uh, the concept of having false deities, if you will, is actually already covered in the first commandment. All right? So if you are obeying the first commandment, then you wouldn't be doing any of this dagon molech stuff. Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about? Um, if you're obeying that first commandment, this, sub, this subsequent warning about idolatry would be redundant. Okay. The second commandment, therefore has some other information in it that's building on what we've been given in the previous commandments. And I, would, I put it to you, and I don't, this is not a radical departure from anything you've heard before, but the second command must therefore also refer to the use of pictures, statues, and other false representations of the true creator God. And this is what the commandment's getting at, if you think about it. Um, <clears throat> so the first commandment says have no other gods before me. Okay? The second commandment says, "Okay, no false representations of me." If you remember Israel and they made the golden calf, right? Well, to them they weren't making up something new and fantastic. What did they say about this golden calf? "Here's the god that brought us out of Egypt." And god says, "No, no, 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 no. You do not do that. We do not do that." No false representations of me. No lifeless, inanimate objects to represent the living God. No false theories. Okay, I'm going to extend it out a little bit. I would add to this, no false theories or explanations of who and what I am. A um, prime example of that would be the Trinity teaching, which is a, an attempt to explain the living God um, <clears throat> in a way that has not been revealed in Scripture. It is uh, kind of coloring outside of the lines, if you will, and disobeying God's clear instructions. Don't add to what I say. Don't take away from it. But don't add to it. All right. So our understanding of God has to be. Uh, we have to be careful with it. All right. Now, with that said, did you know? Did you know that there is An approved likeness of God. There is a scripturally approved likeness of God. Okay? There is. Go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 27, which says So, God created mankind. In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 5, verse 1 and 2, just another scripture, says basically the same thing. Um, When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth, and so on. Perceiving the likeness of God begins with human beings. It begins with human beings. We are, according to God's own word, images of a living God, a representation And a representation of God that is superior to any lifeless picture or object or anything like that. Uh, Because the creator of the universe is active, uh, thinking, feeling, planning. He's affectionate. There are lots of other characteristics and qualities that I could list through, but you get the gist. I hope. Um, he's not something that we dreamed up, you know. It's not something that humanity dreamed up as sort of like a representation of all our best and brightest thoughts. Um, neither is is God an impersonal force within the universe, like uh, fertility, you know, or strength, or logic, or math. Although this is how many choose to explain God or um, understand God, you know there's obviously an intelligence in the universe, and people you know kind of grasp in the darkness on stuff like this. But lifeless idols are a distortion. they are a distortion, and they take away from they take away from our ability to understand what our creator is really like okay and it limits our relationship to him okay it limits our relationship to him if you think of all the things that are in this physical universe and there's all kinds of kinds of interesting stuff only living things could even begin to reveal the living God, right? And of all the living things, all the living beings on earth, only humans, only human beings are designated by God through his word as the beginnings of a reasonable likeness of God, the creator. Now, I've I've made a point of saying beginning, okay? Okay? a beginning, uh, because it is. This, we need more information. And it is only through Jesus. It is only through Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son who became one of us, came in the likeness of a human being. It's only through him that we have what I'm going to call a worthy image of God. And we learn how he approached life, okay, um, following the lead of, of God's spirit and seeking God's will. And in Jesus, we are presented with the most complete image of the Father, the Creator, the God of the universe that is available to the flesh and blood mind. Okay, An image of God that is meaningful, And has purpose, because it also points to our own personal destiny, if you will. The Creator has something wonderful in store for us, in that He will make this likeness of Himself, this beginning, and I've referred to it as beginning, but He will make this likeness complete in us, and that is His purpose. So, the image of God is like the other commandments. You probably picked up a theme here, wrapped up into some big picture thinking. If human beings then are are created, uh, are beings who are in a likeness of God, all right, and this is provided to us by our Creator, okay, well, then I think it's worth asking and uh, should be asked and will be asked how then are we like God? How are we like God? And uh how are we not like God? Another good question, and then, how are we to become more like him to to reach this complete image? Okay, how are we like God? Number one, how are we like God? How do we take that statement there in Genesis and put some you know some meat on the bones? How are we like God well God gives us creative abilities. I think creativity is probably the most, at least in my mind, the most godlike attribute of, of human beings. Uh, but there are others. We have creative abilities and we have leadership abilities, uh, all of which are similar to him, but on a you know greatly limited scale. All right. We're, you know, these are similar on a limited scale. Um, Of all the physical creation, human beings alone have this power of mind and this way to interact with their environment. We reason. We analyze. We plan. We can visualize the future. We create literature. We create art, technology. We design. We build. We organize. We manage, we supervise, and we super are all you know, both things and other people, other thinking beings. And in this way, I put it to you, we are like the living God, our Father Creator. And these are attributes and qualities that you don't see among other living creatures on this planet. So how then are we not like God? Because I think we're all very, very well aware that we're not. There's something else going on with, with these likenesses, okay? How are we not like God? Well, human beings, although created in the image of God, uh, in, in, in many ways uh, are not like him. We treat each other badly. We treat each other badly. And I'll let that suffice. You can add a lot more detail to that. But we also have a limited grasp of spiritual realities. We're biased. We're opinionated. We're unjust. We're selfish. And we're very quick to fight among one another. These are just some ways in which We are not like God. So how do we become more like God? Well, human beings have this tremendous potential and capacity to grow and develop. And we have this capacity to consciously choose, to consciously choose and actively develop qualities of character. This is yet another aspect that you don't see in other creatures, if you will. Um, For example, we might decide that we need to be more self assertive, all right, and develop strategies and ways and habits to make that part of our personality, right? Um, We might decide that we need to be more positive, all right, more thrifty, more serious, more mindful, and so forth. Right? So when this, this capacity to make a decision about who and what we want to be is applied to spiritual matters, then we move towards being more like the image of our creator. Go to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. Paul writing here says in Colossians sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is becoming renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator." Now, this is this process that I was talking about, where we have the capacity to take an active role in creating, if you will, who we are going to become. Now, if you wonder, okay, so what are these things we want to become? And, you know, Colossians mostly talked about, well, put off the bad stuff and put on the good stuff. Well, what's the good stuff, right? What do we actively decide we want to become? Go to uh, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 19. This has got another list of, of, of some bad stuff. Uh, we'll read through verse 24. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and stuff like that. I warn you, as I did before, that those who are like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the spirit and its fruit is love, joy, joy peace, forbearance, another way of saying patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The fruits of the flesh, and then the fruits of the spirit, show themselves in our lives, but they're Kind of showing themselves in a very different process, okay? Take the fruits of the flesh. We've read through these lists, and you know, we can have messages at other times that go into the details of those, but just look at the list, and you know, it's bad. Okay, well, the fruits of the flesh, they operate in us in a way that, well, they just come naturally, don't they? (laughs) I mean, you don't have to put any effort into being selfish, do you? You don't have to put effort into the fruits of the flesh, because they just come, they flow out of you without, you know, when, you, when you're not exerting self-control, okay? And, you know, fighting, factions, gossiping, and all this stuff just happens unless we exert control over them. Now, com- contrast the fruits of the Spirit, okay? Uh, they require considerable effort to live by. You go through that list and you think about it. Patience, kindness, gentleness those require effort because they don't just come naturally. There might be some people that are blessed just naturally with a gift for one of these things, but um, most of us aren't. <laughs> and we have to consciously make an effort, a mental effort, you know, in our lives to put these on, as the scripture said, to put them on and make us uh, more in the image of our Father. Um, the likeness of god that is found in the flesh the flesh and blood humans is as i've said a beginning it's only a beginning all right we must add to it to get the full picture now of course i've mentioned earlier you know the example of jesus but in us to get the full picture we have to add some additional stuff where do we get this information you know, I mean, I've gone to Galatians five verse nine and go, well, "Oh, right there. OK. Well let's broaden it out a little bit. Where do we get all this information? Because there's a lot more to it. Well, we get the extra information from God's Word, right? No big surprise there, I, I don't think. It supplies us with all this info on what is a complete person in the image of God. And we also have additional understanding and information through the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. We use this information to become more like our Father Creator, to fulfill and fill out, if you will, the likeness of God that began in the flesh. Now, I mentioned earlier that Jesus provides this great example, a perfect human example. He's basically all that a human can ever be. Right? He goes beyond that. He's the author of our, our author and captain of our salvation, you know, beyond the flesh. But in the flesh, that's it. That's as good as it gets. So God's word, you know, it's part of one of the things that God's word does, presents us with this complete picture of the person, the teaching, the example, and the life of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, in him, in him, we receive instruction. Through his example, we receive instruction through his teaching on what it means to become complete in this likeness of God. All right? And, you know, to the other point about the presence of the Holy Spirit, Christ has been raised from death and he is alive. He is your high priest and he is alive and he says about himself and about the Father, I am with you, right? How? I am with you through my spirit, which is, which is in you. So on both those points, God's word and God's spirit, Jesus Christ is with you, working with you, teaching you, and instructing you. Go to John 14. And we'll take a look at verse 6 through 11. Jesus was talking with the disciples and uh, telling them that he was going to be taken from them. He was going to be executed. Bad stuff was going to happen. Happen Then good stuff would happen. <laughs> but he's talking to the disciples. And then Thomas, who was one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, speaking here to Jesus, uh, we don't know where you're going. We don't understand exactly all this stuff you're talking about. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the light. life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, well, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. He's basically saying, okay, great, I'm cool with that. Let me see it. Isn't that what he's saying? Yeah. And Jesus answered him. You know, I don't know what what, uh, Philip was expecting. You know, can you draw him? Can you like you know get some plasticine and you know make a model of him? I don't know what he was looking for, right? But he basically wanted something he could wrap his mind or his hands around. And has Jesus answer that request? He says, Don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me? Um, I've been with you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And that last clause, that's worth some elaboration. We'll come around to that. But first, let's take a look at Colossians 1, verse 15. Short, sweet, just another uh, verse. It says the Son, that's Jesus, Jesus Christ, is the image. That gets us back to that key word. He is the image of the, un- the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And when it adds that extra clause about being the firstborn, that adds the extra understanding that, okay, where I have gone, you will go too. And that's Jesus' message to you. This is his message to his disciples. Where I have gone, you will go too. Right? The Creator's goal, your Father's goal for you, for us, for everybody, is to transform us, our nature and our character, into Christ's image, okay? We read about that during the course of the sermons in the year. So we're transformed into the image of Christ who is complete in the likeness of God the Father, the Creator. Connect the dots. And this process becomes complete when we are resurrected unto spirit. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 45. We'll read verse 45 through 53. Talking about this transformation. Got to be one of your favorite parts of scripture. Uh, I'll bet it is. Paul says, yeah, there's a natural body, and then there's a spiritual body. The body, where am I? Yeah, so it is written, the first man, Adam, this flesh and blood creature that you and I both are as well, became a living being. The last Adam, the final Adam, a life giving spirit, of course, referring to Jesus Christ. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, the physical, the flesh and blood comes first. All right? And after that comes the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, you know, the chemicals, the water, the Energies of the earth, okay. The second man is of heaven, okay. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, okay, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. For I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. I'm telling you something that hasn't really been heard or understood before. We will not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal one more first john 3 verse 2 talking about this same event the resurrection to spirit focusing more on the quality of it here in first john 3 verse 2 very very short succinct statement See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And and that is what we are, children of God. When you are raised, you will be a child of God. Okay? The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure and that adds another element there all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure so when we're talking about the image of God we're talking about going you know from this image of God that we started off with in Genesis you know the flesh the blood we have the image of Christ, we have the extra information. What is this all about? Well, living in obedience to God's commandments. Let's go back to the second commandment now, Exodus 20. Um, You probably noticed this when we read it through the first time, but let me uh, underline it if you would. We'll read it again. It says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, listen to what he says next. This is part of the commandment. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments notice that like in the commandment itself it also has a reference to saying who keep my commandments it's sort of you know self-referential if you will the second commandment is a two two part two part message if you will the first part says okay no images all right no false representations and the second part warns of accountability accountability we must answer for our words and our deeds and all that other stuff because that is how we form the complete image of God through obedience to his commands, through conforming our lives and our thoughts and everything about us to that image. Notice, I mean, it's written right there in the commandment. This is how you form the image of God through the obedience. Now, kneeling and bowing and praying before a picture or an object. Um, And and yes, I would include in that the image of a cross, okay? Uh, That might look and feel like an act of devotion and uh, submission and worship and so forth. But true worship, true worship of our Creator is demonstrated through the keeping of his commands. And again, that is how we attain and understand and bear, if you will, the full image of God. John 4, verse 23. Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman, not a Jew. And you know there's some misunderstanding among all these people about religion and understanding and... So forth. And he cuts to, the, cuts to the quick with her and he says, Okay, yeah, yeah, you know, you've got your Samaritan worship and the Jews have their worship. But in 20, verse 23, he says, A time is coming, and now has come, because I'm standing here talking to you right now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Knowledge and understanding of God's truth truth, is essential for growing holy, righteous character. And, in the context of today's message, filling out and completing that image of God. Proverbs 2, if you would. Verses 1 through 5. My son. Let's change that and say, my son, my daughter, my child. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So, talked about this information, you know, the extra information you add to the flesh and you know, get this complete likeness. Once you gain or are given understanding of truth and God gives it to you and you receive it through the Holy Spirit, then you are held responsible. You are held responsible and accountable for what you know. Go to James 1, verse 22. which says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like, like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do 1 John 2 verses 4 through 6 whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar or in our parlance is a phony (laughs) okay And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know that we are in him. Okay. We worship God by obeying him. And, you know, we've gone through these first three commandments now, right? And they all kind of circle back, don't they? I mean, I hope I'm not getting too repetitive, but they all kind of circle back to the same thing. You must obey. You have to listen to what God says and change who and what you are. Um, You worship God by obeying him, by emulating him, uh, by learning through practice and effort to think and live as he does. And we show honor and we show respect for him by living this way. And that of course harkens back to the message last week. Negative effects of creating images, false images of God. Well, what's so wrong with creating false images? You know? Who cares? What's the big problem? What if I have a picture that I or a painting or a statue or whatever? And you've probably heard people say, Well, it helps me focus. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but I have. It helps me focus. You know, that's what these paintings are for, and that's what these statues are for. I'm talking about people who do this in a, you know, a way to like create a picture of Jesus Christ or, or something like that. Okay, um, pictures, objects, and all false representations of God keep us from seeing Him in the multifaceted reality of His being. Right, as I mentioned earlier. You know, taking a lifeless thing and saying, well, this, this is going to help me understand this living thing is, is lame. What God says is, no, 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 you don't do that. And he points us to what? Ourselves, right, as the beginning. And then Jesus Christ and the Word, okay? Living things, living active things. That's how we understand a living, active God, okay? A multifaceted God. He can act with gentleness. And mercy, he can also act with wrath and judgment. And the living God cannot and should not be limited to any two-dimensional or even three-dimensional depiction. Okay? His presentation to us, and he does present himself to us, and he gives us this way of understanding him, this image, his presentation of himself to us is active and it is alive and as I think we have seen, it is moral in nature, which implies the whole you know uh, whole realm of you know judgment and so forth but it's moral in nature our understanding of God is is moral um, and by moral, I mean that our understanding of him is based on th- Quality and the character of his actions. You could have a living God, right? But it could be mean, (laughs) just to put it simply. But we understand him and the truth of who and what he is through the quality and the character of his actions. All right? Justice, mercy, faithfulness, affection, self control. And anything less than that is deceptive. And we don't perceive it that way. Now, I mentioned this a little earlier, but the idea of using images and objects as aids to worship, and some people will do that. They'll say, well, I just feel like I can pray more effectively if there's a picture in front of me, or an object, or you know, maybe a crucifix or whatever. Uh, use of images and objects in worship are a diversion, and that is that is one of the problems with them. They are a diversion, reducing the fullness of God's truth, and substituting or putting in its place an incomplete presentation of Him, are some of the most effective strategies of Satan. Okay. Uh, taking God's truth and removing parts of it and saying, okay, this is God's truth. And that is how Satan deceives. You've seen it, I've seen it, you've all witnessed it, you've probably had to work through it mentally as well. An incomplete truth. and you're, oh, what? <gasps> It's not right. So we don't want to take away from the completeness of our understanding of God either. Okay? Uh, it is one of Satan's tactics to get... Folks, to visualize Jesus Christ as a lifeless, inanimate object. A statue. Something like that. This, I would say, subtly diverts our attention away from the fullness of the living Christ. That's a very important understanding, which we must always remember, that Jesus Christ is not a dead hero, but he is an active, living High priest. Okay. And images divert us away from that. Okay. It dulls or undermines, if you would, our perception of the vibrant, perfect, living God and gets us focused on stuff. <laughs> wow, look at the beautiful carving on that or the diamonds around it. Gets us focused on created things, which if we go back to the previous messages, that's God wants us to not do that. Because they're all temporary. Um, so this deception is the first, actually, step towards violating the first commandment. Having no gods before me. You know, putting created things before God. Anyway, I won't go too far down that path. Go with me to Second Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18... And I'm going to read through to chapter 4, verse 7. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image. With ever-increasing glory. So it's a process that's being described here. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry... Paul referring to himself and others like Silas and Timothy. We do not lose heart. All of us, though, have this. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways, and we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the plain truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, or it's it's veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, Made this light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So the image of God is not so much seen, not so much heard, not so much touched, as it is experienced and lived through a life of obedience to our Creator's commandments. It's experience. Active, living, engaged, involved experience. And that's the image of an active, living, engaged God. So, conclusion. The second commandment is a warning, as are the other other two, the first and the second that we talked about earlier. The second commandment is a warning to keep our eyes and our attention on the living God who is known and perceived through His works. Go to Deuteronomy 4. Drawing to a conclusion here, we were reading the commandments, and this is some of the material that um, Moses, at God's instruction goes through the people with, leading up to the reading of the commandments in Deuteronomy five. So Deuteronomy four is all kinds of very important, like like you you know, you get a prologue in a book that says, okay, here's what the book's about, this is what the purpose of it is and the point. In Deuteronomy four, verse fifteen, God says to the people, through Moses, he said, You saw no form Of any kind, the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the fire. And the people didn't see God on the top of the mountain. They saw the effects. They saw the fire, the lightning, the clouds, the smoke, and all that kind of stuff. But they did not see a form. They didn't see a face. Right? Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt and make yourselves an idol of course, they did. They made that calf. An image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the heavenly array, do not be enticed in bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all nations under heaven. But as for you, speaking here to Israel, as for you folks, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his inheritance as you now are. So he just says, you didn't see a form and you didn't see a face. What you saw was what I did. You saw me in action leading you out of Egypt redeeming you okay that was what he said before the commandments were, were read and we would interpret that in a different way you know we would probably look towards our own personal salvation and calling but we do not know god through any image or object or appearance we know him through the nature of what he does okay and he says to Israel, I am the God who brought you out. And that could be applied, you know, in so many ways. I am the God who brought you out of whatever kind of mess you were in. Right? Now the ultimate work of God, of course, is the life of Jesus Christ. The perfect and complete spiritual representation of the Heavenly Father as the scriptures say, you know, God has spoken to us through his son, and nothing else has come out since because that's it. That's as good as you get. The representation of God the Father. The best you can get in the flesh. Now, of course, the scriptures look forward to a wonderful time when, you know, Paul talks about it as, now we see through a glass darkly. Later, whew, yeah, well, while we're in the flesh, we've got everything that we can handle. And it's, in some ways, very simple. In some ways, it's very complicated. Um, And we've gone through that. Obedience, it all seems to circle back. All roads, all roads to God lead back to obedience. The second commandment also serves to protect our very special relationship with our Creator because it points to some pretty incredible stuff. We're made in his likeness now in the flesh, and we can see little aspects of it. Yet we are destined to become even more fully like him, to grow into that maturity of Christ, as the scriptures say, and fashioned into his spiritual image, and raised to a special place in his own family. Our Creator is greater than anything that we can see or imagine, anything that we could draw on paper or carve with our hands or whatever. And his likeness is truly understood and perceived through living and doing, active, alive, etc. And this understanding is built on the foundation of obedience to his commands, which are a guide on proper action, proper activity, and proper doing and we would add to that, putting on his spiritual outlook. Go back to the, those spiritual attributes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, loyalty, gentleness, mercy, justice. That's the image of God.